an agricultural empire, the fulfillment of the dreams of pioneers, unexcelled in beauty, rich in achievement, and still offering a challenge mighty as the mountains. This is our Northwest Empire. I'm Felix Bunnell, resident historian for Cairo News Radio, heard with Dave Ross and Colleen O'Brien Wednesdays and Fridays on Seattle's Morning News. On this episode of the Resident Historian Podcast, volunteers are making history and saving history all over Washington. You know, it, it's hard to wrap your head around moving a you know 800 square foot stone structure until you see it up on blocks in a parking lot. <laughs> and then, from the archives, Lloyd's Rocket was a Seattle gas station that launched a million memories. Lloyd's Rocket was a junky-looking, <laughs> oily gas station. And stay tuned for a roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening this week in the Pacific Northwest with the all-new Nevergreen Minute. But first, let's go all over the map. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. Our resident historian Felix Bunnell joins us Friday mornings for All Over the Map, which is his quick look at the stories behind the names of local places and things. And this week, building a bridge between SeaTac, Washington, and yes, it does exist, SeaTac, Virginia. Morning, Dave. Yeah, like Portland, Oregon, and Portland, Maine, or Vancouver, Washington, and Vancouver, B.C., I learned recently there's a community in Virginia not far from Norfolk called SeaTac. It's spelled almost the same as the airport in the city around here, but there is a K on the end for those who are uh, spelling this morning. I made some phone calls yesterday. I learned that SeaTac on the East Coast is one of the earliest communities in the U.S. of formerly enslaved black people. They settled there not long after the Civil War. But the history and the name go back to an even earlier conflict, the War of 1812. There's some different theories about the origin. It's widely believed that it comes from a British attack by a ship called the HMS Atalanta in June 1813. British sailors came ashore and tried to steal a cow. Americans with muskets chased them away, but not before the British burnt down a corn mill. I, you know, just another day in early 19th century America, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Wow. But it was a sea attack. Uh-huh. See what they did here. Uh-huh. It became the stuff of local legend, and the name sea attack stuck for much of the area, which became Virginia Beach. It got shortened at some point to SeaTac. Mm-hmm. Now, I got most of this history from Tammy Mullins-Rice. She's president of the SeaTac Community Civic League. So next, I talked to Kyle Moore, Government Relations and Communications Manager for the city of SeaTac, Washington. He told me he checked around with some old-timers, and no one at the city here in King County had ever heard of SeaTac, Virginia, until yesterday. Hmm. That's when it was time to have some good old-fashioned, all-over-the-map telephone fun with Kyle Moore and Tammy Mullins-Rice. Okay, so if all went according to plan, uh, I've got SeaTac, Virginia on one line, and I've got SeaTac, Washington on the other line. Is that the case? Okay, well, hello. Hello, greetings, uh, my East Coast counterpart. This is Kyle <laughs> Moore with City of SeaTac. <laughs> well, we, we're, we're actually a community called SeaTac, and we're in the city of Virginia Beach, but we're, our community oh. is known as SeaTac within the city. So the two SeaTacs are different in a lot of ways. SeaTac Virginia has maybe a few thousand residents, while SeaTac Washington has a population of 32,000 and 100,000 or more coming through every day at the airport. And one thing they do have in common is loud aviation. SeaTac Virginia is right next to a naval air station. Navy Air Station Oceana. We hear planes all the time, so we call it the sound of freedom because it's just part of our life, you know, daily living. Wow. Well, I appreciate that your city is part of protecting our country. Um, I I don't have a military base. I have a the, the largest airport in the state of Washington, so... Um, we have the sounds of uh, airplanes every day, but 
I don't think uh, we call it the sound of freedom, though. <laughs> so, this is as awkward as an episode of, of Love is Blind, honestly. It does kind of have that feel, yeah. And I brought up the notion of how about we establish some kind of sister city relationship or maybe build a monument to the power of local radio to bring Americans together. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody was willing to commit to that yet, but Kyle Moore does want to visit SeaTac, Virginia someday, so... Uh-huh. Monument or not, i got to say thanks to Kyle and to Tammy Mullins-Rice for both being really good sports for me in my basement with my phone and my tape recorder. <laughs> hmm. You're like, quick, I need a segment for, for Cairo Radio. An overgrown Cub Scout is one of my neighbor, neighbors describes me. You yes. know, since this whole thing began with the British attempt to steal a cow, why don't they rename it to Stolen Cow, Virginia? That might work. That would distinguish that would, it. It would stop confusing people between SeaTac yeah. Virginia and SeaTac Washington. Stow Cow. Yeah, 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 that's right. And there's no chance that anybody else would hijack that name. I think you're absolutely right, Dave. Just quickly, uh, from the text line... We, from the 360, we yeah. have someone who went to uh, second grade at SeaTac Elementary. Well, there you go. In Virginia, they were Navy brat. So they text us up, so brought back memories, Felix. All of Felix's features are at MyNorthwest.com. Have a good weekend. You too, Dave. Thanks. Whether we travel by water, land, or air, we are thrilled by the scenic grandeur of the evergreen state. Hello, uh, Gertrude. Yes? Is Boris S. Wart uh, answering his call yet? Yeah. Do you just want to fool around, or do you, no. do, what, no. do you want to talk to him? No, I want to talk to him. Hurry. All right. Chase, this is Boris S. Wart, the second meanest man in the world. <laughs> I've got Boris S. Wart, the second meanest man in the world. Felix Pinnell joins us now, our resident historian, with two stories. The first is an update on the effort to create the commemorative J.P. Patches and Gertrude license plate. That's what you just heard in case you're new to Seattle. <laughs> and the second is about a beloved West Seattle landmark that a local group is showing off this weekend. Felix brought to us by Lake Washington Windows and Doors. Yeah, the theme of both these stories is volunteers taking charge to improve their communities. Um, first up, the group's been trying for seven years to create an official J.P. Patches and Gertrude license plate. Like those special plates you see for sports teams or bird watching or skiing or whatever, but this time with J.P. and Gertrude on it. Now, for those in the audience who don't know who J.P. and Gertrude were, they were the stars of a kid's show on Cairo TV, 1958 to 1981. So that means the show went off the air more than 40 years ago. But J.P. and Gertrude, who were played by the late Chris Wiedis and Bob Newman, uh, they got even more popular in the decades that followed. I like to say that they transcended television. So creating a plate like this takes money, signatures, and three dedicated patches pals named Eric Madsen, Chris Rimple, and Kurt Hanks, plus a little thing I like to call the state legislature. Now, after something like five attempts to get the bill uh, passed, creating the plate, the good news came last night. It's a phone message from Representative Jake Fye. He's chair of the House Transportation Committee. We just passed the J.P. Patches license plate bill off the floor of the House. There is a little bit of language correction that the Senate will need to agree to, but I think all systems are go for getting this great license plate out there for people to enjoy and raise money for the Children's Hospital. Now, Representative Fye mentioned Children's Hospital. Proceeds from the plate fees are roughly $50,000 a year. will go to support the Seattle Children's. That's where J.P. and Gertrude, again, Chris Wiedis and Bob Newman, both contributed a lot. And uh, J.P. was a regular visitor there, not unlike a certain former quarterback uh, who shall remain nameless, but I don't mean Jim Zorn. No. Now, the group of volunteers, uh, the Patches Pals, you can imagine, are pretty excited to finally have crossed the finish line. This is Eric Madsen last night, not long after he got the good news. This has been a long, arduous process, and I'm not sure that it's sunk in all the way yet. We actually made it this far. Um, After seven years of many, many ups and downs, um, I'm incredibly relieved and excited to see that the bill will finally pass the legislature and the thousands of Washingtonians will be able to show their love for J.P. Patches and Gertrude. 
And so there is, a, there is a little bit of language for the Senate to approve. That should happen today or Thursday at the latest, and then Governor Inslee has to sign it. Um, last year, an Inslee spokesperson uh, took the fairly unusual step of telling us that the governor did support the Patches Pell plate. Everyone feels pretty good about this becoming the law of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, now, page does, two. What? Now does the money for that go to any special thing? or just? Yeah, to... it generates about $50,000 a year that goes to Seattle Children's it's every awesome. single year. It's for cancer research at the hospital where J.P. and Gertrude are volunteers, which is a great thing. So, All right, now, second story, page two, as I've always wanted to say on the page radio. Page two? You might remember a campaign a few years ago to preserve a distinctive little cottage along Alki Beach covered in stones. Mm-hmm. Well, the group of West Seattleites who did that, who call themselves Save the Stone Cottage, they recently won a community advocacy award from the preservation group Historic Seattle, and they'll be offering tours of the cottage this weekend. I went out yesterday to get a sneak peek. Um, Mike Shaughnessy gave me a little tour. You know, 30 years in West Seattle, I've driven past this structure thousands of times, and I only wish I would have stopped because I thought many times, I should stop and talk to that lady. She must be cool. You know, it turns <laughs> out she was quite cool. Now, the roadside landmark was originally just a little wooden cottage along Harbor Avenue, but the cool woman who Mike Shaughnessy referenced, uh, her name was Eva Falk, she was something of an iconoclast, maybe even a bohemian. And sometime back in the 30s, she decided to take her simple wooden house and decorate the exterior with stones. This is Mike Shaughnessy again. She horse traded with homeless people from Hooverville, which was in South Seattle here. Uh, these old world craftsmen, probably European Mason craftsmen. And the craftsmen would come over and they would do the uh, stone veneer exterior finish on it in exchange for homemade meals. Now, you might be wondering where all those stones came from, and that's one of the coolest parts of the story. Eva's children, uh, two of which are still alive, were three and four years old, and they were the ones who took wagons all up and down Alki Beach, all the way from the lighthouse down to, say, Salties, and they collected rocks. And if you'll notice... Above the windows and the door frames, there's a row of black rocks, and th- those were hard to find. So they had to, they had to selectively use the black rocks just above the window frames for accents. Now, Eva Falk died in 1997 at age 92, and her family lived in that little house until they sold the property to developers back in 2018. Everyone thought the little cottage was doomed, and that's when the group of volunteers stepped in. And what Mike Shaughnessy and his group did was to get the developers to give them the cottage, and then they actually raised enough money to move it very carefully from its original location. Now, that was back in August, and they carefully trucked it a mile or so, and it's stored on Port of Seattle property up on blocks in a parking lot, and not a single stone fell off. They had wow. volunteers walking behind with shovels, almost like a circus parade, they said, <laughs> but not a single rock. I mean, the, 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 they did such a good job wrapping it up and putting it, all the mortar and stuff around it 80 years ago or whatever that it just it didn't lose a single stone. Now, they've been in talks with Seattle Parks and Recreation about finding a spot on public land, maybe near the Alki Bathhouse. But if that doesn't work out, they do have a plan B in mind involving Salty's restaurant. So we've been in close contact with them. They would love to put it up near the sidewalk on the Salty's property and have it be a little walk-up fish and chip shack, which would be great. You know, it, it, uh, it meets our three objectives, it saves the structure, keeps it in its neighborhood, and it keeps it open to the public. Yeah, and so this Saturday, they will have tours. They're not getting inside the building, but you'll be able to get up close and see it. Um, Historic Seattle has information on their website. We have links and some photos at My Northwest. But it's just a 
One of these things, if you ever drove past this any time in the last 40 years or whatever at Alki, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Do, do you remember that? Anybody remember that structure? Is that Vaguely. I think it was yeah. years ago. But that's a great idea. Uh, we could always use another tourist attraction. Yes, and another fish and chip shack with, with like five-cent tartar. Like they have I can't a, uh, tell spud if you're or, serious, yeah. Dave. <laughs> no, no. When I, you said we could always use it. I, I, I think we could. I, okay. I also think eventually there should be a Russell Wilson statue. Should yes, I bring, is it too early to bring that up? No, oh. we're clinging to things like that right now. I because agree. Yeah. We, we have a Ken Griffey statue, and he left, yep. and we still put the statue up. Yeah, but, but he had to wait years for that statue and well, had yeah, to be put saying, in the Hall of Fame. No, no, I, I'm not saying do it now. Oh, oh, oh. We've got to fight about it first. Should, but. We, we can melt down the J.P. <laughs> Patches statue and no, turn it into no, Russell. No, he's got a license plate now, though. No, we're not going to do that. Yeah, a Russell Wilson statue, that's the first mention I've heard of that, Dave. I think you should the campaign to raise the money mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, well, um, sure, absolutely. No, I think you're, <laughs> get right on that. <laughs> you're the person who does the the history crusade. Now, I'll save it when it's threatened. Fifty years from now, I'll say save the Russell Wilson statue. When people well, are saying he was a turncoat <laughs> and a traitor, I'll say no, no, kids, you have to hear the whole story. It was a radio station, and there was a stadium, and we used to get and listen to the radio every Sunday, and they won lots of games. They tore down the building, and the statue was buried, but I found it. <laughs> Are you two? <laughs> and they threw it away again because they knew it was me. Hey, how's that star doing, by the way, the Macy's star? Hey, it's fine. It's lovely. It's in good shape. Everything, you know, it's it's everything's going to turn out okay. That's the message I'd like to pass on from from the history department here at Cairo News Radio. Ah. Are you two really going to talk like that when you get old? Yeah, I, I already talk like that when I'm at home. So. Shunny? <laughs> I'm the only one who's entitled to talk like an that's, old guy that's around true. here. That's true. <laughs> yeah. By the way, buried in this story, Felix, how long did it take you to get into and out of West Seattle. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that was these. Now the pandemic's over. Doing stories in person. That's four. I leave four hours a week yeah. now traveling, especially oh, in West Seattle. It yeah. won't be a tourist destination. It'll be a tourist trap. <laughs> They'll be trapped in West Seattle forever. <laughs> Check it out this weekend. It's really he had, cool. He had to leave his car behind on West Marginal Way. He <laughs> yeah. walked here. This yeah. yeah, I can imagine without concrete flowing, <laughs> might be a while before we get that bridge open. <laughs> All of Felix's features are safely housed at mynorthwest.com. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, we David. just threw out so many news. Headlines in that conversation. <laughs> Concrete strike. Yes. West Seattle. It's all tied together. There's no escape from history or news. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. For this edition of From the Archives, if you needed cheap gas or someone to install your bald tires, Lloyd's Rocket was the place to go. Six sixteen, Seattle's morning news. Felix Bonell, our resident historian, is here. Tens of thousands of people drive by it every day, and for some reason, Lloyd's Rocket resists the march of progress. <laughs> I drive by it every Sunday on the way back from church. Yeah, and it is still it's it's a Hawaiian place now, right? Yeah, is and that... I'm yeah, and I'm a little obsessed with roadside history. I love these places you can just drive by and not even get out of your car and. uh you know, I've talked before about the how the service station was invented in Seattle, and everyone knows the Hat and Boot Station down in Georgetown right. that became a park. But this is a little triangle of land. It's uh, bordered by Yesler, Boren, and 12th Avenue, right east of the Yesler Terrace development there. And it's remarkable it hasn't been torn down and replaced with condos. It's this old gas station from 1950, this original building. But it was a neighborhood fixture for decades. And I spoke with uh, Kwame Turner. He's in his 70s. He remembers Lloyd's Rocket. He's also active with the Black Heritage Society of Washington. I think it's clear that Kwame has a lot of affection for the place, which was slightly unconventional. Lloyd's Rocket was a junky-looking, <laughs> oily gas station. It wasn't pristine, all that. 
they they gave you some latitude there, and uh, they weren't real picky, and so it it was it, it worked out pretty well for us guys that were trying to bend the rules. <laughs> and bending the rules for Kwame Turner meant he could bring these wide, worn-out old uh, Cadillac tires to install on his '54 Chevy, and Lloyd's would do it, no questions asked. <laughs> Kwame says he got a lot of flat tires in those days. Um, I also spoke with Peyton Whiteley. He's a retired Seattle Times reporter. He wrote a long piece about Lloyd's Rocket back in 1990, and you know, he's interviewed thousands of people for the Times, and he's forgotten a lot of them. But he remembers Lloyd's Rocket and the owner and the namesake, this guy named Joe Lloyd, who was in his mid-70s at the time. I, I remember, I senior remember the thing that astonished me about Lloyd's Rocket was that it it looked like it was so derelict that uh, it was ready to collapse. And, and yet when you went in there, he was in there pumping gas, and the gas pump still worked, and... He was doing oil changes and stuff and, and uh, was still in business. Yeah, so Joe Lloyd was something of a character. I met him a few times. I stopped by and visited in the early 90s, and that station was centrally located, and anyone who's lived here since the 90s remembers it really clearly. It shut down in 1995. Joe Lloyd passed away in 1996 when he was 80. It sat vacant for a while. The family sold it, and the property sold again, and it's been called something uh, the North Shore Hawaiian Barbecue for the last 11 years. And the building is just a gas station with a restaurant in it. Now. Nothing's changed. It's no. cleaned up. It's not oily and junky. But I stopped in the other day and talked with the restaurant owner, um, Sherelle Yu. She said the history of the place doesn't really factor into their business, and I kind of pushed her on that, and, well, she was a good sport. People just try to keep asking, you know, uh, I remember this, like, a long time ago, it's the gas station, you know, um, so, yeah, it's just, like, customers keep telling us about it, so. So there's nothing on the menu, like the Lloyd's Rocket no, sandwich or something? No. or the. Isn't that a great idea, though, to have, like, the, you could have the Lloyd's Rocket barbecue um, deluxe or something? You know, neighborhood change a lot. So, I mean, some people they have like like um, they have a memory about like rockets, but it's not like that many people about you know know about it. So yeah. Just annoying people like me, probably. <laughs> so the menu doesn't have a long history of the business? No, but no, yeah. So anyway, Kwame Turner says that back in 1960, Jimi Hendrix used to jam a few blocks away with a guy named uh -huh. Ron Holden, but he said Jimmy was so poor in those days, he didn't go to Lloyd's Rock, he didn't have a car. And um, Lloyd will be turning 100 years old this year, where he's still alive. So, I don't know. We'll have more at MyNorthwest.com. Go there and share your memories with us. It's just one of these great roadside attractions that, that still persists in 2016. Can't believe it. Still there. We have to hang on to the little heritage that we have. Do we have to? <laughs> Things are swinging in Seattle. Things are swinging in Seattle. It's the place for me. Now for the Nevergreen Minute, a roundup of exhibits, tours, talks, and other history events happening in the week ahead around the Pacific Northwest. First up, the next weaving gathering at Hebold Cultural Center will take place on Wednesday, March 16th at 5 p.m. in Tulalip. Bring weaving materials to work on projects or visit, share, and build skills. More info at heboldculturalcenter.org. Next up, the Negro Motorist Green Book, a traveling exhibit from the Smithsonian about the famous Guide for Travelers, open Saturday, March 19th at the Washington State History Museum in Tacoma. More info at WashingtonHistory.org. Also on Saturday, March 19th at 11 a.m., in honor of Women's History Month, America's Car Museum in Tacoma presents, in person and online, a program called If Alphas Could Talk, Women Drivers, part of a series following great women racers throughout history. More info at americascarmuseum.org. We'll have more history happenings on next week's edition of the Nevergreen Minute.
I'm Felix Bunnell at Cairo News Radio in Seattle. You can follow me on Twitter and read my stories and see my photo galleries at MyNorthwest.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend and please take a moment to give a positive rating or review. Thanks for listening and please join me again for the next episode of The Resident Historian. And it is with this thought that we most reluctantly conclude our glimpses of Washington State. Do you just want to fool around or do you, no. do what? No. Do you want to talk to him?